All right, so today is April 28, 2013, and the title of the message is, uh, What Do I Do? What Do I Do? Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. This is going to be one of those questions that hopefully I have 100% participation and hands being raised. Y'all ready for it? Raise your hands if you ever had problems. There we go. That's a winner every single time. If your hand is down, you're lying. Problems. You ever wonder why? Why do we have problems? Probably the more uh, pertinent question is, why me? We can watch the news and watch problems all day long, and we are just 100% fine. It, it may distress us for a second, right? Especially when something tragic happens. But it's a lot different when you have problems that come into your life. Saints, it does us no good to sit in a building with AC and for me to preach a message about someone else in a faraway place. Who I want to preach about is first of all me and second of all you. So the Lord led me to a topic that I think hits every single person in this room. But I want you to come out on the other side knowing how to deal with problems. We can watch news again, like I said. We can identify problems all day long. You know, there's lots of people on the left and the right, but more on the left, that are easily identify problems, if you can kind of read between those two lines. The solution of how to fix them is where we usually bog down and get stuck. Do you want at the end of your life for there to be a legacy of, I did not do what God told me to do because I was obstructed by a problem or some problem, a sickness, a weakness, a thought pattern, hurt feelings by God Almighty. So Acts chapter 16, let's take a peek in a little bit of who Paul was. But the whole time that we're reading this, I want you to keep in mind who you can be and maybe who you were at one point. So Acts chapter 16, let's start in verse 20. Call out there when you there. Amen. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. Sounds like kind of a problem, right? Let me give you a preview of how we got to this point. I mean, do we just go in the marketplace and all of a sudden the crowd is going to mob us? They're going to strip us and beat us and put us in stocks? It's because you did something, right? Now, if you saw someone in jail, or if you walked by this, this day and you saw someone that was stripped, that was beaten, and put in stocks by the Roman leadership, you would say they probably did something pretty bad, right? They, they deserved it. Because all authority is 100% right at all times. Not necessarily. They're God ordained. But. So here we have a scenario where Paul, if you back up in verse 16. He's, once we, when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. 
This girl followed Paul and the rest and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you to be how to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. It was because he was going to a place of prayer and was being harassed by a demonic spirit inside of a slave girl that was fortune-telling. And he got frustrated with it, and rightly so, because it was hindering the kingdom of God from uh, expanding, hindering him from being who he is called to be in Jesus. And he cast it out of her. Come on, raise your hands if you know by memory Matthew 10, 7. We studied it quite a bit here in this church. As you go, preach the kingdom. Cast out demons. Or heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. Well, this is exactly what Paul was doing. He was fulfilling the commands of Jesus. And as he went, as he preached the, uh, the kingdom, and as he cast out demons, it landed him in prison. It landed him stripped, beaten, and stopped. So I want to go back to that first question. Problems. Why? But more importantly, why me? I think you need to evaluate yourself this morning. And you have the problems in your life. The first thing that should begin to come to mind as you enter the presence of God, as you read God's word, as you contemplate what truth really is or is not, is why are these problems in my life? Are they there because I put them there and I deserve them? Are they there because I'm obeying the will of God? And I'm being persecuted for living a godly life. If you have a work situation or relationship where someone once loved you, once adored you, but no longer does because of your stance with Jesus, Peter says the glory of God sits upon your shoulders when they persecute you. But it doesn't look like in this moment in Paul and Silas' life that the glory is just hovering around them. What would you do? This is that mirror effect when we read God's Word. What would you do if you were doing something not just right, but precisely what God had told you to do, and you're in that moment? And let's say, Joel, you're doing that, and someone strips you down to your underwear, beats you, flogs you, and then puts you in stocks. I would say we all, not just Joel, we all would have at least that momentary thought of, what in the world did I do wrong? Did I miss God? We may even get to that one point where we invoke that ever-present phrase, L-O-I, L-O-I, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you have had problems, there is that momentary feeling of despair. There's that momentary feeling of desperation. And where is God in all of this? But I want to show you through the word who you can be. You imitate Jesus' life first and foremost. But secondly, how did Paul overcome this problem? Let's keep reading. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. So there's a second point of understanding problems, it is fight the feeling of failure. Here he is, having done something 
right and righteous and being unjustly persecuted for it. And he's locked in stocks. And him and Silas begin to fight the feeling of failure by two key elements. Log these down in your soul, in the depths of your heart. Remember this exact time period and my words going in your ears. You fight the feeling of failure through prayer and through praise. There is no other substitute to deal with problems. Nothing. Great. You may not take drugs to deal with problems. People have all kinds of ways of trying to numb what's going on in their life. And it's not necessarily narcotics. It's not alcohol. Let me go to you, some of you guys. You may very well numb your problems with a TV show. Three or four episodes. You may numb your problems by going to play golf. Going hunting. It's a, it's a temporary escape from an ever-present problem that can only be dealt with with prayer and with praise. And the good part about this situation is that he had no other alternative. Sometimes that's a blessing to be in. There is no alternative other than to pray and to praise. Amen. Let's break that down a little bit further. Prayer, what is it? Well, you can read through the entire book of Psalms and see exactly what prayer and praise look like. The song that we sang tonight, uh, today, I seek the bread of your face, or I sought the Lord and he answered me. That's directly from Psalm 34. This is David's cry for help. And it's again and again and again of where he would begin to offer the Lord the burdens of his heart and his soul. But the end of every single song, his eyes are lifted up, praises upon his lips, and he is a victor and not a victim. Couldn't you see easily that Paul and Silas could begin to bemoan themselves and say, it's unfair, I'm crying here. The authorities, we could even put the police in this manner. The police have unjustly accused me, and not just accused. I mean, come on, those of you who've been arrested before, have they beaten you? Have they flogged you? I mean, take a whip and beat your back 39 times. Or Romans didn't do that, actually went above and beyond that. We're talking about unjust treatment. But getting to that point where you're in the midst of it and your default reaction is to begin to offer up your soul to the Lord and get to the point where praise is coming out of your mouth. You want to find the easiest way to fix your problems? And let's just take an everyday problem that we can all face at some point this year, a flat tire. That's probably an answer or a question I can ask and everybody would give me an answer of yes. When a flat tire occurs, your first reaction is going to be, oh man, I've got to spend this money, it's the devil, take it from me, blah, 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 blah. That very well may be true. Joel can say amen. That's his whole car, it's a big flat. <laughs> Same as my truck, it's still in the shop for about three months. But what you do the first words out of your mouth, I want to encourage you. Let it be, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's what prayer and praise does. Amen? Amen. All right, let's keep reading. Suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Now I'll stop right there. 
Somebody, or actually, pull up Hebrews 11 1 on the screen. So, in the midst of contemplating why me, the next, fighting the feeling of failure, begin to have a, a violent earthquake. Now, before chains fell off and prison doors were open, once again, let's put ourselves in their shoes. You're going, all oh, great. Not only have I been unjustly accused, beaten, flogged, put in prison, I'm away from my family, I'm being, it's a horrible condition. But great, I got an earthquake on top of this, and I'm going to die. Right? So Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for. And here's the important part. And certain of what we do not see. Certain of what we do not see. What gave Paul and Silas the substance and the default reaction of prayer and praise was that they had the understanding and the trust grounded obedience to say I am certain of what I do not see did they see freedom immediately when they went in prison did they see freedom while they were being flogged and beaten did they see freedom immediately or when the first parts of the earthquake were happening not yet but like we sang this morning freedom reigns because Jesus reigns. Amen. Whether it be now or whether it be when I die, freedom is mine because I'm a Jesus. Amen. I will not be deterred. I will not fall into despair. I will raise my head up, lift my eyes and say, thank you, Jesus. I know your freedom is within me. There's been men and women of God who are in prison now and have been for over 20 years around the world just because they love Jesus. And they call it their church. Not because they go there to be fed, they go there to feed. Around the world, men and women of God are persecuted, beaten, if not killed, because they have a hope and a substance that they cannot see, but they readily attain every single day. And what comes out of them is prayer and it is praise. Come on, saints, we have nothing to complain about. I don't care what condition you are in. If you are in Jesus, there is no other condition to be in. Amen? Amen. Amen. Romans 8, 24, please. For in this hope, we were saved. He's speaking about the resurrection, right part of that. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. I don't know about you, but if I had the a physical representation of a resurrected body in front of me, it'd be a little easier to trust Jesus. It'd be a little bit easier to keep my eyes on the prize, right? But Jesus is the first fruits. He is the example. He is that embodiment of this is possible. This is going to come. This is a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. And I know it because he put his spirit within me. I don't have to conjure my mind or trick myself to believe that the resurrection is true, that Jesus is true, that everything in the Bible is true. 
It's the Spirit of God who has opened my eyes to see that, number one, I was a wretched sinner. I was lost, lost in the desert of death without Him. And when He stepped down and found me, He gave me this hope. But it wasn't seen. It wasn't seen at all. Who hopes for what He already has? Come on, we all hope that our children have a better life. We all hope that things turn around in our country and things and the, the, the cultural climate ceases or decreases with wickedness. We all hope for the kingdom of God to be on earth as it is in heaven. But do we see it? Not at this time. I'll tell you where you can see it though. You can see it when you look in the mirror. You can see it when you look in your eyes. Do you see this hope? Do you see this resurrection power, this freedom, even though there isn't physical freedom? Can you look in your own eyes and see Jesus? That's a real test. Two days after I was born again, I remember getting up and looking in the mirror. I did not recognize myself. What once were cold black eyes and a hardened look, not because I put it there, sin was at work. And I allowed it to be at work within me. But Jesus set me free from that bondage to sin. He gave me that hope that there is more to life than what I'm experiencing now or will ever experience. Come on, we've all been thirsty. You ever had that kind of thirst where it's cotton mouth? Where no amount of drink can satisfy? Or that hunger or craving for something kind of like me and boiled corn and a crawfish boil? I just can't get enough. But then comes that one element, that one substance that you partake of, and it satisfies the deepest of your soul. That's where I was, and that's where I am. I was at a point in my life where I had no hope. I had problems with no solution. And he came down and he rescued me, and I said, Jesus Take the throne of my life. Take it all. And at that day, I was saved. And every single day, I am saved. I want you to get that perception down in your mind. Being saved is not just a one-day event or, or, or event or thing that happens down here at the altar or anywhere else. It is a life of being saved. If I needed Jesus that day I was saved, in that degree, well, definitely every day after that, I need him in the same magnitude. So, everybody has your handout with your, your pamphlets? I mean, with your uh, bulletins? So, in it, we have a note, right? A note of saving. Everybody say that the Hebrew word for that. Say, Yasha. Yasha. That's actually Cajun. Or Yasha. <laughs> So one thing about this word, it's a Hebrew word. And when given in its proper context, it is to be delivered. But with the sole purpose that someone is in danger. Watch, let me see it real quick. Can I get one? To help deliver, save. 
Outside Hebrew, this word is attested only in Moabite language. It appears in all periods of Hebrew, including post-Biblical Hebrew, and in Biblical Hebrew about 205 times. This verb occurs only in the causative and passive stems. I'm sure y'all know what that means. I don't. Essentially, this is the meat and potatoes of it. Essentially, this word is being to remove or seek to remove someone from a burden, oppression, or danger. Why do you have problems? Because the Lord seeks to prove himself God by removing you or seeking to remove you from a burden, oppression, or danger. Let's continue in Acts. Now one thing to note is that Paul and Silas, as they prayed and praised, did not say an unspoken prayer. They did not lightly sing hymns to themselves. They sang to the point where all the other prisoners could hear. In fact, the jailer himself. And that's a key component. So let's pick up in verse 27. I'm sorry, verse 26. Suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open. And everybody's chains came was it just Paul's? Was it just Silas's? That because of their obedience to God to cast out a demon and a girl who was harassing them on their way to just pray, it landed them in a, a deep pit of problems. And because of their ability to fight the feeling of failure, they praised to the point where God moved on their behalf and it not only freed their chains, it freed everybody else's around them. That's why you do it in a public fashion. That's why we're unashamed for the gospel. The jailer, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now here on one side we have Paul and Silas, men obedient to God, being persecuted because they love Jesus. And on the other side, you have a man who runs a prison, who does not know God, and immediately put in a situation of absolute failure. And I won't ask you to raise your hands, but in some shape or form, whenever we face failure, what despair seeks to do is take your life in some shape or form. It could be suicide. It could be indulgence of any kind. It could be avoidance. Now, just apathy for wanting to deal with a problem. But at some point, you were this jailer. Where when confronted with the power of God, the chain-breaking power of God, immediately your first reaction was, I do not measure up. And you want to do something to yourself about it. Let's watch what this jailer did. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, <coughs> sirs, what must I do to be saved? If there's ever a line in the word, a verse that captures 
the truest response to the full gospel. It is what must I do to be saved? Now at this point, you would expect Paul to do what? Well, brother, bow your head, lift the pinky, let's pray the sinner's prayer, and we're going to see you just born again in Jesus' name, and you can come to our next week coffee study. You have a desperate man in a desperate situation. Death is staring him face to face. And Paul, the writer of Romans, did not bat one eye. He did not defer one moment to, to answer that question wholeheartedly. Before we read that, turn to Romans 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, which means the good news, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The author of this verse is the same God we're reading about now in Acts 16. How did he know that? How could someone write that confidently? And know to the bone and the core that that is truth. And there's nothing else beside it. Because he was put in a position of being deep in a problem. And he saw his God rescue him. There's something about face to face. I don't mean Facebook. I mean face to face. That when God puts someone in your life. You're to speak to them and interact with them face to face, not from a distance. And look, me and Jacob Braun could be standing face to face, maybe about that close. And I could still be disconnected. I could be looking past his left ear, his right ear. I could be falling asleep on him. But what is very true is that if I look him dead in the eyes, in the depths of his soul, it's then that I can make myself available for the power of God, this gospel that's within me, to flow from me into Him. You don't get born again from reading somebody's text. That may be a seed, it may be a component. You do not share the gospel virtually alone. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is carried on the shoulders of men. Just like Israel carried the ark on their shoulders. The glory of God is to rest upon you, and you take that out elsewhere. And then God may put you in a position where he wants to display it, but it may be initiated with a severe problem that he can show his glory. So Paul replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. You will be Yasha. Now you would imagine, if you ask someone, how do you get saved? How do you get delivered? How do you get free from this burden and oppression and despair? You might say, I don't know, go jog a mile. Get some stress out. Go on a date with your wife. That can make everything better. It does. But not all. You can even prescribe the pill for anxiety. 
But when you come face to face with the truth of the living God, and that area of your heart cries out, what must I do to get free of this burden, of this oppression, of this immediate problem that is about to kill me? We begin with belief in the Lord Jesus. We talk about this lots of times. It's not just an, uh, a credence or a mental acknowledgement. Oh, God, you're up there. I'm down here. That's my faith. In your pamphlet or in your, your bulletins, the very top, believe. Greek. Pistio or pistis is what we normally call it. To believe, also to be persuaded of, and hence to place confidence in, to trust, signifies in the sense of the word reliance upon, not mere credence. Reliance upon, not mere credence. Dustin can believe that this stage will hold me. I am relying upon this stage to hold me. There's a big difference. Which side are you on? Are you in the position of just mere acknowledgement that God can come through for you? Are you relying on the fact that God will come through for you? More so putting yourself in the obedience to His will that requires you to rely upon Him. Come on, we're familiar with that term supernatural, right? Let's break it in half. Super, what's the other part? First part? Next part? If we live only in the natural, what are we leaving out? Are you living a life that requires super natural? Are you living a life that only requires natural? Are you seeking the Lord on a daily basis, saying, what is your will today, despite the problems it may impose upon me? Let's continue to read. At that hour, I'm sorry, then they spoke the word of, Lord, of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to rely upon, believe in God. He and his whole family. He was rescued from death sins. I was rescued from death. Amen. You were rescued from death. Amen. And remember like we read in 1 John? We walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. That's immediately what happened to this Jacob. He got right with God, and next thing you know, he's getting right with men around him. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. The jailer took care of them. He loved them. He fed them. 
And he did it all before he got the order to release them. And what 1 John says, No greater love has a man than to lay down his life for his brother. He was not only freed from death, but he was willing to face it again because he knew the hope that he had had. He, he received the hope that Paul and Silas shared with him. That his life has been bought. It was bought at that moment when he said, what must I do? And then he responded by believing, relying upon the living God. His debts were paid for, but also his life was paid for and belonged 100% to the living God. Where is your life? Evaluate your heart. Is it in a place that says, I owe God everything, or the other way around, He owes me everything because of all these problems in my life? If you lay those problems at His feet and you let prayer and praise start coming out of your mouth, God will shake those chains loose. Amen. He will shake everything that bounds you off. Yes. He will free you. And you will not only gain the confidence to overcome problems, you will gain the confidence and hope to stare death face to face and say, you have no hope upon me. No hope. If we live in just a comfortable environment that's protected and padded on all edges, what glory is that to God? But if we spend our lives being obedient to Jesus, even unto death, then number one, we're walking as He walked. Amen. Secondly, we're giving glory to God. Amen. So one of the last things that problems do when Jesus delivers you out of them, as we read on, when He answers the question of why me within you, when you fight the feeling of failure, when you have this hope and anchor for your soul, Judgment comes upon your accusers. So go to verse 38 in Acts 16. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alone. Now, we'll pause right here on verse 38. Paul falsely accused, persecuted because he's obeying God's will, beaten, flogged, put in prison, shaken out by an earthquake. The jailer takes him in where the jailer should put him to death immediately in order to save his own hide. Wouldn't you say that once he was well fed and dressed by the jailer, you would just kind of slip out the back door and put the next down? Let me tell you something. Following the will of God frees you from being a slave. But it never frees you from struggle. We are free from being captive. But we are not free from fighting and struggling. So what did Paul do? He trades right back up in there and starts flaunting his Roman citizenship in order to shove it right back in their face. So let's read verse 39. They came to appease them. And escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. So the very guys who imprisoned them in the first place, beaten and flogged them, were now 
catering to them and trying to quietly escort them out of town. You will find, not on your timetable, on God's timetable, that when you face these problems and you do it God's way, He will be your deliverer, He will be your rescuer, and He will cause those in the situations that have once accused you to be the very ones setting you free. They will let go in Jesus' name. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. <laughs> then they left. How would you like to be Lydia? All of a sudden, Paul and Silas show up on the front door. Hey, guys, let me just share with you what happened today. And they go through the whole story. And here's where that, that difference of being a victim versus being a victor comes into play. Did they go to Lydia's house and get encouragement because they're, they're emotionally distraught. That all these bad things have just worn them down and drained them of their happiness. They went and took the same power, the same good news that they had while they were in prison, and they brought it to Lydia's house to encourage her. What God can do through your problems is immensely more than you can ever ask for or imagine. And if you hold faithful to His Word and obedience to Him, not doing it your way, doing it God's way, He will bring you full circle that you will take this life that He has given you to, to overcome the problem and you will be able to give it to others every single time. Come on, we are all vessels. We're all jars of clay. And what you deposit inside of you will determine what you draw out of you. So I'm asking you this morning, evaluate your hearts. Evaluate your lives. Where are you? What's your default when you face problems? Is it a response of thank you, Jesus, and prayer and praise coming out? Knowing, being certain of, that the hope is that God will deliver you, that God will come through? Or is it a spiral into despair and the further away from obedience to Him? I want you to think about it. Let's stand right here.